Well, I'm interested in the cufflinks there. I assume that has to do with oh, the yes. conversation we were just having. Well, that's part of that's part of practice yeah. protocol. If you refer to, um, do you want to be Matt or Matthew? Matt, please. Okay. <laughs> Matt or uh, their CEO Joe, it's cufflinks. Cufflinks. For sure. Yeah. Well, yeah. So I mean, this is the the last time I drove uh, my car, one of my cars with the stick shift to the. To any oh, restaurant, okay. gotcha. um, it was uh, you, nobody can. No valet knows how to drive a stick shift anymore, and Ooh, oh, interesting. You always have to ask them, and they almost always look at you and they go, <laughs> like, no, "No, sir." Deer in like, the headlights. Just tell me where you want me to put the car. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, interesting. Yeah. Yeah. That makes me want to teach one of my kids how to learn oh, yeah, how to yeah. drive a stick shift, but then I got to find a stick shift to. Well, the Volkswagen oh, yeah. Golf is still available in the stick shift. Yeah, it's a great okay. little car, not expensive. Right. And, you know, I mean, the best way to make sure that your kid never has to lend their car to another kid is to get him a stick shift. That's, That's a, good a good point. Idea. Yeah. yeah. And uh, nobody, and like, who's <laughs> going to steal it? They can't drive. Yeah. <laughs> can't be driven. That's interesting. It's like a that. millennial anti theft device. <laughs> <laughs> they should remarket it no longer as a manual. <laughs> That's right, <It's> right. <laughs> anti-theft millennial anti-theft device. <laughs> you know, if you're under the age of 35, you, you probably, there's a 5% chance you can drive this car. Yeah. <laughs> and only one of us at this table is in that age group. I can drive a stick shift. So. Yeah. yeah. Oh, you can? I can. Oh, well, there you go. Yeah. Good for you. How'd, how'd you yeah. get out of the curve? So I uh, learned on my one of my dad's cars. Mm-hmm. Um, but that was not an enjoyable experience, learning experience, driving in a car that he cherished and mm. learning how to drive a stick shift. So I, I got good enough to where I could get home if it, to, if something were to happen. Um, but then it annoyed me enough that I didn't know how to do it. So I bought an older BMW and uh, kind of worked on it and learned how to drive stick, then owned a Mini Cooper for a little bit. Oh, and then, man, Mini Coopers. Um, now I can, now it's like riding a bike. I don't yeah. own one. I don't. Yeah, but it comes uh, back to you, though. It is, yeah. I got a job at Dan Young Chevrolet when I was 16 years old on the okay. service drive, and uh, I didn't know how to drive a stick, so I had, like, a week to learn. Because <laughs> I didn't want to, like, burn out, yeah, you know, right. in a Corvette yep. <laughs> in yep. front of the owner. <laughs> so I was like, I got I to gotta get home, and I got to let my mom have, like, yeah. a little Honda Prelude, and I learned on that real quick. Right. Yeah. So That's a good car. I was highly motivated to learn. Right. Yeah. Well, so I didn't want to. You didn't ruin any clutches, right? Not that you were of. No, well, there, it was flat, right? You know, the clutch ruining is always on yeah, the hill. You true. Know? Well, he was uh, working at a service center. You were just creating more business. That's right. Not that's right. Yeah, that's a good point. Right. <laughs> anyway. Is this thing on? Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Summits Podcast. Thank you for joining us from wherever you guys get your podcasts, or if you're watching us on the Heroes Foundation YouTube channel, thank you for doing so. Um, Don't forget, hit that little subscription button and the little notification bell so you can be alerted when new episodes like this one drop, if you haven't already done so. It's free of charge, so we highly recommend. Uh, Today, a good friend of ours, Dr. Matt Prudy from Priority Physicians is joining us. Matt, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for having me, guys. Appreciate it. Yeah. Um, why don't you give our listeners a little intro? Okay. Well, um, I am a family medicine doc. I uh, live here in Carmel, um, and uh, I've been in practice for 20 years now. This is my 20th year. Um, nice. And so um, I uh, this will be my 
actually 20th year uh, of marriage as well. And I've got a five-year-old daughter at home. Uh, and um, yeah, we, we, um, we've got a, a, I would consider a fairly successful practice. There's 10, 10 docs in our practice and um, uh, we practice a little bit more in, intense preventative medicine maybe than, than yeah. a lot of places do. So, and it's just because the way our practice is set up, we've got, uh, we've got more time to spend with our patients. So, right. Yeah. I can testify to that. Yeah. It's, it's been very intense. Yeah. Yes. That's exactly right. Um, what I, I, one question I wanted to ask you about that is, um, as that whole industry has evolved and you've seen it evolve over the last, I mean, how long has priority been around? 20 years. Has been, it's been yeah. 20 years. Okay. So you've seen a lot of probably ebbs and flows in that industry over that 20 years. Let me ask you this. What made you decide to go into it and start it, uh, start this concept 20 years ago? Well, I mean, I, the, it, self-preservation really you know i mean i am um, i'd love to say there i have some sort of grand plan but in residency even then you know um in our clinics we would have a half day uh and they they'd have us seeing 12 people you know in, mm -hmm. in three and a half hours and very complicated patients you know um with multiple medical issues half of them didn't even speak english so there's a translator in the room okay. and and i thought i you know wow i i don't want to do this for the next 35 years you know right. i mean I, I i think i'll i'll burn out and part of it is you know just knowing uh, that you're not you're not able to provide the type of care that you could not because you're not smart but because you, you're on a time restraint all the time mm. and so um i i just sort of started looking around and there were a couple practices on the each coast um that had started doing this a few years before. The first one was in 96, and we okay. opened in 2002, um, late 2022. Um, but, um, but yeah, yeah, I, I sort of let it be known that th this was something I was looking into, and then my partner, Craig Veach, was also gonna be doing that, and uh, so the two of us got together and, and, and started a practice with no patients, which is a great business model. <laughs> <laughs> Highly recommend it. A little risky, but. <laughs> no, you know, I, I, mean, I was right out of residency, and so right. I was used to making 30 grand a year, and I'm like, oh, you know, if it doesn't work out, I'm sure somebody will hire me, you know? Right. So, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, people you will say, oh gosh, you know, you must have, how ballsy was that? And I'm like, not really, you know? My yeah. wife was still in residency, and we were, you know, used to living on nothing. So, right. you know, nothing ventured, nothing gained sort of thing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Um, well, things have obviously taken off. I mean, you guys have, have done well over the last several years. Um, when when you look at where's, where's the practice headed, um, and, and, and my crystal ball is not any better than anybody else's, but do you see – more location. You guys are up to two locations yeah, now. Yeah. Do you see more locations or? Uh, you knows? know, I, I I don't know. I mean, we we just expanded our Carmel location. Um, we're getting ready to build a building out in Fishers and make that one bigger. I think the biggest question is sort of like, what's the what's the market cap on uh, on on a service like this? And you know. If you would have asked me that 20 years ago, I would have thought maybe, you know, there might be a couple hundred, you know, 400 people, enough for Craig and I to take care of, and that right. would be about it. Mm -hmm. And 
you know, I, I'd, I'd like to think a lot of it is us sort of raising the bar on, on providing primary care. I think at the same time, the bar is being lowered around us, you know, okay. um, and, and some of that is older doctors retiring, have ha- having had enough of after COVID. Um, some of that is just... I just heard a recent story, like literally earlier this week of that exact scenario. Yeah, you know, like, you know, they've just had it. Um, and, um, you know, meanwhile, the population is getting older. More and more people are moving to the Indianapolis, you know, metro area. Um, There's not enough primary care doctors. And so, you know, if for patients who value... Um, you know, the ability to get in at, you know, a reasonable amount of time mm-hmm. and actually talk to their doctor, like the, the, there are other options, but, but, you know, we sort of hold ourselves out as, you know, the, essentially the pinnacle of what it could be if you, if yeah. you did everything to focus on what the patient would want. Sure. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, I, I, yeah, we'll probably have some more offices around here. We've had some offers to help other people in other cities. And I don't know if we're going to do that or not, but, right. um, yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't, I don't see. Well, you know, Joe, I don't see Joe and I like saying, "Well, you know, we're in our late forties, we're done, we're shutting it down." You know, we're not going to get any bigger, and we're just going to ride off into the sunset for the next twenty years. Probably not. Yeah. Right. You're builders. Yeah. yeah, it's fun. You know, I mean, what would we do uh, if we weren't growing the practice? So, right. Yeah. 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 Maybe go out and play with cars and do stupid stuff. And yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, 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 we have, we have a good time too. But it, it is, it is sort of. Um, you know, I, I think a lot of physicians, um, you know, doctors are the smartest people in the room always, right? So every, all doctors think that they're good. We can edit that part out, right? Yeah. yeah, I think so. right. yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's why, it's why like the number one uh, cause of small airplane crashes are physician pilots, you <laughs> okay. know, because they're, they're, if you're a neurosurgeon, you must be an awesome pilot too, right? Uh, you have but, to be. But you're just not, you yeah. know. Also, you have to get back for surgery on Monday, so it doesn't matter if it's raining, you're flying. Um, so, you know, I, I, I wouldn't hold ourselves out as, as being uh, the smartest business people, but we have a lot of experience in, in yeah. over 20 years that we've sort of, you know, learned the hard way what does and doesn't work uh, with this business model. Um, so that's been, it's been fun. It's been interesting. And we, you know, it's been interesting talking to folks around the country and learning what they're doing and sort of taking snippets of, you know, Hey, this guy's doing this really great. Um, bringing it back and integrating into, into our practice. Yeah. Well, I, as a patient and hopefully I'm not breaking any laws by admitting. No, myself. you can say, I, I, I can't, can't say. say yeah. Um, the things that I value are, are some of the annualized stuff that you do. Cause I mean, let's face it. It's up to the person typically to initiate, okay, I need to get my annual physical or I want to do this or I want to do that. The fact that that's just part of your guys' normal annual protocol, I don't want to say forces it, but it, in a way it does. It serves as a hell of a reminder. Right. And you know, as many of our listeners know, or followers of the Heroes Foundation, like know my story. And so I think because of that, fortunately, we were able to catch some things early and, and which is a good thing, of course, in, in, in the cancer world or any other healthcare related issue. Yeah. Um, and can and hopefully you know, address it ahead of the game and, and it's gonna have a more successful outcome. So yeah. that's one of the things that drove me to you guys. It's one of the things I, it keeps me there and I appreciate just the fact that um, it's not, not so much the service level, which is obviously very high, but just that those annualized things that um, otherwise, I don't know if I'd be getting done. 
Well, apparently. I mean, you know, get, getting one's prostate checked is usually not, you know, <laughs> high up on, on, on somebody's list of fun things to do on a Thursday, right? <laughs> um, or getting your colonoscopy, you know, and I, I mean, I, we've got great um, uh, nurses who work for us and, you know, I mean, literally will we'll just bug the crap out of people until mm-hmm. they acquiesce and they, they, they you know, give me a date. I yep. need a date. You know, yep. you're, now you're a year past due. And there's something, I mean, I, we've had folks that like, Two years later, they're like, "Fine, just stop calling. I'll get it if you'll stop calling me." You know, assistance, <laughs> right? And 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 um, and and so you know, some of those things, like you said earlier. I mean, I don't care what it is. If you you, you catch heart disease, diabetes early, cancer early, it's always better than catching it late. You yep. know, because there's so sure. much we can do um, uh, ahead of the game to to affect change in many cases even with cancer you know a stage one cancer is generally treatable with surgery yeah. stage four never is you know and so um how how early you catch a cancer or how early you identify somebody who's you know gonna be a diabetic in four years if they don't lose weight um or going to have a heart attack and you know whether it's six months or in five years um you know r- right there heart disease diabetes and uh or sorry heart disease cancer and you know vascular disease stroke top three killers of america right and you know a lot of people if you don't have prevention as part of your 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 yearly routine you find out about you know the heart disease when you drop dead of a heart attack which is a dumb way to find out that you have heart disease yeah Yeah, for sure Mm -hmm. if you were going to give someone so i mean we're you and i are about about the same age if not the same age you're obviously quite a bit younger um you're going to give some a piece of advice to someone in our age group that whether they're priority uh patient or not what is like the singular biggest piece of advice that you would give to someone our age Hmm. okay um have a doctor (laughs) yeah and, and even if you only see them for 10 minutes a year, go in and get your labs tested. Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, and so, so get your labs tested by somebody once a year. Um, from a cardiovascular standpoint, uh, if, if you haven't had a heart scan and you don't get one regularly, I would, I would say that, that everyone should get one of those. Yeah. Um, that's the, the, the single easiest and cheapest, they're like 50 bucks way of determining, you know, stratifying your risk for cardiovascular disease. If you're 48 years old and you've got a zero heart scan, that's what I would expect to see. And that's great. Doesn't mean you don't, couldn't have cardiovascular disease. But if you've got a big honking calcium score, then then you your goalposts for your for your labs right. just got moved big time, you know, and and you probably need a cardiologist yeah. um, uh, or a primary care doc, you know, who is really into prevention. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, I know we did a heart scan. How often do the, those aren't done annually? How often are those typically yeah, done? I mean, so there, and that's something that's that's changed for us in the last five years. Um, you know, we used to do heart scans about every three years on everybody, starting at forty for higher risk people, forty five to fifty for lower risk patients. Um, and now the technology has, has shifted from, from coronary calcium scoring over into uh, coronary CT angiography, okay? And right. the difference there, it, a heart scan gives you a score, 
which is quite literally cubic millimeters of calcified old hard plaque in your heart arteries, which is important to know, but that score just puts you on a, on a basically a graph and says, hey Vince, you're at the 50th percentile for guys your age. What it doesn't do is tell us, hey, you know, you have a X percent blockage. If you do, where is it? Right. Um, and probably most importantly, um, if you have a blockage, is it all old hard plaque and it's just a little narrow? Or do you, are you, is the process ongoing? Yeah, because I've seen guys our age that have a calcium score of 15, which is really low. Uh, and then you get a coronary CT angiogram on them, and the reason it's low is because most of their plaque is soft, you know. Okay. And, mm -hmm. you know, quite literally, I mean, if you looked at an this stuff on an autopsy, it's it looks like the fat you'd trim off a chicken. Right. Um, uh, it's the same consistency. It's, it's, it's gooey. Uh, and that is the stuff when you hear about some guy or gal who's out jogging or shoveling their driveway and they just drop dead. It's not the old hard stuff that, that, that does okay. that. It's the soft stuff breaking up, almost like blowing up like a zit into the inside of your artery. And you go from being 20% blocked to 100% blocked in 30 seconds and you're toast. Yeah. And so it's super important to know that. Yeah. And so we use the, the heart scan as sort of an entree. Uh, and if it's zero, um, then yeah, maybe every three, four years we'll, we'll, we'll repeat the heart scan. It's easy. It's quick, very right. low dose radiation. If it's anything but zero now, those patients buy themselves a coronary CT angiogram, at least one. Okay. Um, and if they, if we find out that it's, Hey, from partying hard when they were 25 and they smoked <laughs> and they ate like crap. Um, but now they've changed all that and they've just got a little bit of old calcified plaque and that's it. Then again, you know, I might not rescan them for five, six, seven years because mm -hmm. I don't care. That's never going to be a problem. Yeah. Um, but I've had patients where it looks terrible and we full court press them on their cholesterol and their blood sugar and their blood pressure. And I bring them back in 18 months and repeat their coronary CT angiogram okay. because they've got like a 60% narrowing and it's soft plaque. And like, if that thing gets, goes to 70, they need a stand. Right. Okay. Okay. You, you mentioned technology. I know you're an Apple guy. What are your thoughts on like the Apple Watch playing into yeah, some of that? And, and how do you, at Priority Physicians, you, do you pull any of that data in or use it at all? Uh, well, we do. You know, you do have to be careful with sort of data overload. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. You know, I, I have a lot of friends who practice in California. And whenever I'm out there at conferences, you know, everybody wants to sell you like something that aggregates all this data. <laughs> You know, and I'm like, look, let me tell you, the last thing I want to do is get up in the morning and look at a computer screen that shows how every single one of my patients slept last night. You know, yeah. I don't want to know. Like, if you can, if you can have it send me like the one guy who hasn't slept in three days, and I can call him. Yeah, great. You right, know, yeah. the Apple Watch is really interesting. I mean, we have absolutely caught not so much from a blockage standpoint, but from a cardiac rhythm standpoint, okay. it is getting really good at at telling people, hey, I. Apple Watch says, mm -hmm. I think I'm in atrial fibrillation. And many times it's right. Really? Um, okay. So, you, yeah. you know, the um, uh, that's been a, I mean, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. Um, you know, the uh, um, to, ha to have a wearable say, hey, you know what, you, you should um, you should go see your doctor because this is abnormal. Or just right. so you know, in the middle of the night last night, your resting heart rate went up to 140, which is not normal. Um, you, you know, and this turns out this patient is going into atrial fibrillation. So, um, you know, in AFib, especially in patients, some people feel terrible in it, but some people don't know. And mm -hmm. those people who don't know are the people that when they go into abnormal rhythm, their hearts, the top part of their heart stops beating, 
it just quivers instead. They form a blood clot in there. It goes back into rhythm and it shoots that blood clot out. And if it, you know, if you're unlucky, it goes to your lungs and you get a pulmonary embolus or it goes to your brain and you have a stroke. Um, and uh, oftentimes in the past, uh, you know, we would find out that somebody has atrial fibrillation when they have a stroke. Um, yeah. If if they are somebody that doesn't feel bad when they're in AFib. Right. Yeah. So, yeah. so, yeah, I mean, I think wearables are great for that. Um, and uh, that, that population, you know, and, you know, Obviously, there's not a lot of 20-year-olds with atrial fibrillation, but man, I've, I've 40, 50, 60-year-olds definitely had their Apple Watches diagnose that. Yeah, that's pretty interesting. Yeah, it's cool. Yeah, yeah, hmm. neat stuff. So what you're saying is, I need to get an Apple Watch. Yeah, it's pretty that's much. Wonderful. Yeah, I just keep trying to change his bubbles from green to blue <laughs> for me, and uh, so I just needed another point yeah. in in that corner. So awesome. thank you, yeah. thank you. Yeah. You got it. Thanks. You got it. Happy to. Well, Matt, you know. Um, our podcast and the heroes is all about about cancer what's yeah. uh, what's your cancer story so it's not a great one um my um uh so when i was a um when i was 25 uh my brother uh who was two years younger than me um uh, i was in my fourth year of medical school and he was in his second year of medical school uh we lived together uh in broad ripple and um, he started having abdominal pain, which was weird. You know, he was a very healthy guy. Um, and um, uh, eventually it got bad enough. He went into the emergency room and they did a CT scan on him. And basically his liver just lit up with a bunch of uh, what they didn't know what it was, um, but it didn't look good. Um, and it, um, after they did a surgery, um, essentially an exploratory surgery, uh, it, uh, they, it was a, a T cell lymphoma. Um, so, uh, he fought that for about a year, um, uh, got, uh, an autologous bone marrow transplant, um, and, um, did okay for a little while and then, um, just got worse, uh, and, and, and died about a year after his initial diagnosis um uh when uh, during my my intern year uh, uh of training so um you know i uh, that is something that was formative for me you know i mean it literally happened uh my first year of being in quote real doctor if you will yeah, yeah. um and um you know uh it's never great when 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 somebody gets cancer, obviously, but but when when you have a you know somebody in their early twenties get cancer and and die that quickly, it, it seems especially tragic, you know. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah, somebody you know just just getting ready to be a physician himself, um, and he would have been a great doc, um, and uh, he was a great guy, and you know it still makes me sad, it still pisses me off, mm-hmm. um, and uh, I think that you know one of the, one of my passions for for finding things early, finding cancers early, uh, is that we just know we can do so much more for somebody uh, when we we find it before their abdomen is chock full of nets. Okay. Yeah. Now, in a blood cancer, it's different. <clears throat> you know, I'm I'm happy to say that the, the the cure rates for the type of cancer that he had are drastically different today yeah. than they were 20 years ago, thanks to you know LLS and other um, uh, cancer research uh, organizations that have just 
massively changed the survival rates for blood cancers, you yeah. know, through gene therapy and other other um, much, much more effective ways of, uh, of treating uh, patients, you know, short of the old way, which was, you know, nuke them with chemotherapy and then give them a bone marrow transplant. Mm-hmm. That was kind of, that was, you know, their, their options one, two, and three 20 years ago. And that, that's what they did. Yeah. Um, and if the bone marrow transplant doesn't work, uh, or in the, his case where he had an autologous transplant, you know, I mean, like it just didn't kill the cancer, you know, mm-hmm. the cancer just came right back. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah. We're sorry to hear that. Yeah. Um, I knew I knew of the story and, and knew certainly it was it was close to you, um, but had not actually heard the story. So thank you for sharing that. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, we talked about prevention. Um, we know that y- there's a lot of things that can go into minimizing your risk. Obviously, we'll never take it to zero because your brother's a great example. I'd like to think I was somewhat similar example yeah. where it just happened. Right, just bad luck. Um, yeah. yeah, bad luck is a great great way of putting it. But there's a lot of um, Outside of the obvious, which are, you know, take care of yourself by um, being physically fit, working out, eat, watching what you eat, things like that. Um, there are new testing out today. And I know you wanted to, we want to talk about the, the blood testing that you were talking yeah. about earlier. So, I mean, this is, this is sort of the, in my mind, the, the biggest change in cancer screening that has come along, well, certainly in, in my career, and maybe not, this is not a hyperbole, maybe ever. Um, yeah. from a cancer screening standpoint. So, you know, when we look at cancer screening that is recommended right now, you know, through the U.S. Preventive Services Task Force, it's all single cancer screening. Um, and, uh, you know, we screen for the most common cancers that people get. Mm-hmm. Uh, in men, the most common are lung, colon, skin, and prostate. Okay. And in women, you take out prostate and you replace that with breast cancer, and those are the, the top four for women. Okay. And we have pretty decent screening uh, tests for, for, for those things. Um, but the problem is that even if you were up to date on all of those screenings as a, as a man or a woman, you're still only going to catch about 30% of the cancers that affect men and women with those screening tests. Yeah. And the other... 50 cancers that are out there, common cancers that people get, and when I say common, they're not individually common. They might only be 1% or 2% of the cancers, but when you aggregate them, it's like 70% of the cancers that people get. From we don't screen. have a single screening test for them. Okay. You know, and you're thinking about your pancreatic cancers or your ovarian cancers or stomach cancer, tonsillar cancer, right. you know, brain cancer, like the cancers that you hear about somebody getting and then six months later, they're gone. Um, And the reason for that is when you don't have a screening test for something, then you tend to catch those cancers when it's in stage three in the lymph nodes or stage four, it's everywhere. Uh, And then unless you're lucky uh, and you, you lucky, unlucky, lucky and get a cancer like testicular cancer that we have a good, you know, regimen for even when it's in stage four then there's not a whole lot you can do. I mean, mm-hmm. you could be Steve Jobs, one of the richest guys in the world, and if you have stage four pancreatic cancer, it doesn't matter. Right. Um, yep. So there's a new, um, a new category of tests. Um, uh, some people call them liquid biopsy tests. Essentially, it's a blood test. Um, and we've known for a long time that cancer, um, when it grows, you know, some of those cancer cells die. 
And when those cancer cells die, they release the, the, the insides, the guts of their cells into the bloodstream. Okay. Uh-huh. Um, cancer, even more so than a lot of cells, because it's growing really fast. A lot of times it'll outstrip its blood supply and some of those, you know, you'll have some uh-huh. necrotic cancer uh, cells in there as well. And so um, there's a, a, a company um, called Lumina, uh, and they are the um, biggest uh, manufacturer of gene sequencing devices. Um, and just to give you a little bit of background, when I was in college, um, they were sequencing the human genome. Okay? Yeah. And uh, they were like 15 years into it, and they're, they're like, we think it's going to take another five years, you know, so it's going to be 20 years, I think, something like something crazy. They spent billions of dollars um, sequencing one human genome. Um, and, uh, and now we can do it in a day, mm. you know, and it, and it costs about a grand. Right. So, so, uh, so, you know, part of this is a, a confluence yeah. of, of technology, you know, sort of catching up with, you know, we knew that cancer, you know, shedded, shed DNA into the body. But if it takes 20 years and a billion dollars to yeah. find it, then that was never going to be a good test. Yeah, it's not viable. Um, so, so this company, um, it's, it's an interesting backstory. They, they were developing a test to look for fetal anomalies in maternal blood, basically okay. a replacement for the amniocentesis right. because it's dangerous to stick a, a needle sure. in there. Yeah. And so um, they, they did, and they, they were developing this successful test to look for, for um, birth defects in, in, the, in the fetus that the DNA was shed into the mom's blood. And they accidentally found cancer. Okay, not in the fetus, but in 20 of the women that were in the study, they oh, accidentally found cancer. And so they, they thought, oh, gosh, you know, what if we actually tried to find cancer instead right. of accidentally yeah. finding, what, what would that look like? And so there, you know, there are things that happen to cells that we know about in cancer, and people have heard about, you know, a, a mutation, whether mm-hmm. that's a point mutation. Some cancers are caused by, like, part of one chromosome going and attaching itself to a different chromosome. Okay. Um, so that's called a translocation. Uh, that, that, can, that can cause cancer. And then there are other things that we know of uh, that are sort of common to all cancers. Um, and, and those things are mutations in the genes that regulate cell growth. Okay. okay, so when, you know, Vince was the size of a grain of rice, you know, we all were, right? Yeah, I've heard that before. Uh, right. <laughs> there, you know, there, were, there, are, there are genes that are turned on that, that make you grow, that make your liver go from, you know, the, the size of a, a speck of sand to the size of a football. And then when your liver's done growing, it's supposed to stop, right? So those genes turn off. Those, those oncogenes is what we call them. They're okay. called oncogenes because onco they were first found in cancer, but they're not cancer genes per se. They're just genes that are, that are, that regulate the growth of, of cells in the body. And we know that in cancer, a lot of those genes that are supposed to be turned off get turned back on again. Okay. okay. And okay. so that's something called epigenetics where it's not so much there's a mutation. It's, there is, but it, it's not in the actual gene itself. It's in the part of the DNA that turns the gene on or off. Okay. okay. So there's something called a methylation pattern that you can look at on, on a piece of DNA that just tells you, hey, which genes are turned on and which genes are turned off. And ca- cancer tends to have a common methylation pattern, especially bad cancers that grow really aggressively. All those genes are turned back on and it's okay. a bad thing, right? Because mm-hmm. they just grow like, like weeds. Right. And so this company has been able to 
take a blood test, look for these, it's called free floating or cell free DNA, DNA that's not in cells anymore, it's just in your blood these little snippets, they sequence them, and then they have an AI algorithm look at it and go, hey, does this look like normal a normal methylation pattern or is this a cancer normal. methylation pattern, yeah. okay? And then the most badass thing about it is, if it does find a cancer methylation pattern, then they go back and they sequence the other genes and they, what other genes are turned on, oh, this came from a pancreas or this came from your liver oh, wow. or this came from your brain. And 90% of the time, they can they can pinpoint the tissue of origin for the cancer as well. Wow. So literally a blood test that tells you you can find stage one cancer and give you a tissue of origin on it. That's how, crazy. how long have they been doing this particular blood test to the general public? It's been out for about 16 months. Okay. So oh, wow. So it's, it's brand, new. brand new. Brand new. That's yeah. yeah we, our, our, freaking we, awesome. we just have... I've just had my first batch of patients that have had their second test. Okay. Um, and, uh, you know, I mean, I, it's exciting for a lot of reasons, but, yeah. you know, I mean, and not that it's all about me, but, you know, my brother's example, um, or um, I, I can't tell you how many patients I have had in the in 20 years where, like, I had a very memorable patient of mine who wintered in Cortez, Colorado. He left in the fall, he looked great. He came back, you know, he's like, man, I want to come in and see you. It was like March or April. And he said, I just, I'm tired. And, and man, I could, I could see from the doorway how jaundiced he was. Mm. And he had, uh, he had a metastatic cholangiocarcinoma, basically a carcinoma of the bile duct in his liver. Guy had never been in the hospital a day in his life. He was 85 years old and he was dead within six months. Um, and you know, I mean, like you think about it and you're like, God, if we would have been able to catch that when it was early before yeah. it spread all over his liver and ultimately all throughout his entire body, he might still be alive. There was nothing wrong with the guy. He's on less medicine than I take on a daily basis. I mean, he basically took a baby aspirin. That's it. And he was 85. Yeah, right. Yeah. You know? And so, um, I'm thinking of all the pancreatic patients who, I mean, you mentioned earlier, typically don't start to have any effects until it's already spread Every somewhere point. else. Exactly. And by that point, it, there's it's just nothing too late. you can do about yeah. it. Yeah. You know, pancreatic and ovarian are the two that, that you know, it's just, uh, you, you know, you can, you can start to get symptoms depending on like where it is if you have a tumor in your brain, mm-hmm. you know. But man, ovarian cancer, it's always, they always come in with a bloated abdomen and mets everywhere. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's yeah. how we diagnose ovarian cancer. Um, and, uh, you know, because it affects women, younger women, uh, can affect older women too, but you know, it can affect women in their forties and fifties. You know, it is, it is something that is absolutely worth finding early. Um, you know, you find a stage one ovarian cancer, you take out the ovary, you're done. That's all you got to do. There's no radiation. There's no chemo. That's it. Um, stage four, there's nothing you can do for it. Yeah. So, I mean, it really, um, it's sort of, it's not sort of, in my mind, it's a game changer. I mean, there's only a couple reasons to not do it. It's expensive. Okay. So it's like 950 bucks. Okay. Yeah. So like Which, that's, don't get me wrong. That's not that's cheap, cheap, but it's yeah. not like outrageous. Well, and of course, like most things, I'm sure at, over time, it's going to start coming so down. So that, I yeah. mean, the company is doing a, um, a prospective study in okay. England right now with 140,000 patients. Um, 70,000 are getting the test every year and 70,000 aren't. And okay. their goal is to prove to the NHS that it's going to save them money. 
Okay. As Mm. soon as that, and it's a three year study, (laughs) as soon as that comes out now is, you know, is the FDA or Medicare going to listen? I don't know. But, but as soon as governments are like, oh my gosh, you know, if we do this on everybody over the age of 50, you know, it's going to save us, you know, $3 billion a year. That'll be the game changer. Right. Because, you know, yes, the price needs to come down, but what really needs to happen is Medicare needs to start paying for it. And when Medicare starts paying for it, then regular insurance companies will start paying for it. And it will become part of everybody's labs over a certain sure. age. You yeah. know, I mean, I, I want to be clear, this is not a, a good test for somebody who's who's 18 years old. Okay. Um, but um, someday it might be. I mean, where is that threshold on the age and, and, and why? I mean, well, I mean, honestly, the uh, you know, here's my analogy, you know, if you went to the mall, and you took, you know, had a 10,000 guys give you a urine sample and you, and you, and you dipped them all to see if they're pregnant. Okay. The chances are one of those pregnancy tests is going to come back positive, not because that guy's pregnant, but because there's a baseline error in the test. Okay. And so if you are testing the wrong people for something, then the chance that the test is going to be wrong goes up. Yeah, okay. Sure. Mm-hmm. And so we know that the incidence of cancer goes up as people get older. In fact, it is the number one risk factor for cancer is getting older. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. When you hit 50, your risk of developing cancer is about one in 200. Okay. That year when you're 50 years old, and it only goes up as you get older. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, less than 50 is it's lower than that. Now that is, that is on average. So mm-hmm. to be clear, if you have somebody whose mom had breast cancer when she's 55 and you're BRCA positive, no, you know, maybe you should start getting this when you're 25. Okay. We have patients um, who have something called FAP, which is an inherited um, mutation that massively increases their risk of colon cancer. And we've been, we've been doing it on them. And one of the, those kids is in their twenties. Okay. And they also, by the way, are getting colonoscopies like every 18 months. Okay. So it's, I want to be clear, this is not a replacement for any of the screening tests that we have. Uh, And it's not a perfect test. Um, You know, the it has a positive predictive value of 44%, though, Um, which means that basic it's close to a coin flip. If it says you have cancer, there's about a 50 50 chance that the test is right. Yeah. Um, And for a screening test, that's pretty good. Um, Mm -hmm. Like mammograms, the positive predictive value is 4%. So like, a hundred abnormal mammograms, only four of them are breast cancer. And the other 96 is something else, you know, a benign calcification or nothing or a cyst or something like that. But we still do them because you don't want to miss breast cancer, you know? And so it's not that mammograms are a bad test. It's that it's not a perfect test. And we've all sort of accepted that, you know, it's not perfect test. And sometimes you got to get a breast biopsy and sometimes you got to come back and get an ultrasound. It's a pain in the neck but you don't want to miss breast cancer. Right. Right. So um, the negative predictive value of the, of the blood test is awesome. It's like 99 and a half percent. So if it says you don't have cancer, pretty much take to the bank that you don't. Uh, and, um, you know, and then theoretically you do that every year and, you know, you, you, um, uh, you know, you sort of, uh, it becomes part of the screening protocol. Yeah. The other thing that's super cool about the tech, like what's coming down the pipeline, mm-hmm is that right now when they do that liquid biopsy and they compare your methylation pattern against sort of a, a population, the AI looks at, you know, the last 250,000 of these and, yep. you know, and knows these people have cancer and knows these people didn't. Yep. In the future, 
they're going to be able to take that data. And when you have sequential data, your cancer screen over the last five years, they're going to be able to compare your methylation pattern to your old methylation. Oh, that's interesting. So basically, hey, here's Vince's baseline. Hey, something has changed, you know, and if if it changes a little, you know, they don't necessarily flag it. But if there's a massive change compared with what they've seen in the past, this is not available yet. But this is what I've heard from talking with the, 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 the research scientists that are doing the product. They're going to be able to basically, like we do with anything, like a PSA or a cholesterol, say, hey, yeah. look, you man, you know, here's your last four cholesterols. This is terrible compared to where it was last year. We got to right. change something. Uh, or, you know, hey, your PSA has always been one and now it's four. We got to we got to look into this because yeah. this is this this is a, there's a marked change. Mm-hmm. So that's also, you know, in the works and, you know, talk about precision medicine and, and you know, specifically for the patient themselves. Right. That's going to be a really yeah cool advancement in this sort of cancer screening attack. At the beginning of this, you said they, they found it kind of by accident, right? Yeah, yeah. So obviously they're collecting a lot of data. It's, it's kind of a blood sample from that standpoint. Are they using any of that to accidentally find something else or are they just kind of continue to hone in on, and I mean, I yeah. assume they're keeping a lot of that data. Well, they, they, they yeah, I mean, able to mine I, it later for ter- terabytes of data. Like, I mean, yeah. I have no idea, you know, they're probably taking up an entire server farm somewhere yeah. of data. Yeah. Um, they, they do have the ability to go back and look. One of the things that's interesting is every single case that they have where a positive shows up, the company follows it very closely. They work with that. I mean, it doesn't happen very often, thankfully, but yeah. you know, they're on it, um, mm-hmm. and they want to know. You know, hey, you know, do, have you have you found it? Mm-hmm, um, right. If they if you haven't found it, you know, it's not like if we can't find it, we're just like, all right, well, everything's great. <laughs> you know, I mean, like I'm we're we're bringing that patient back in three months. I'm going to scan them again. Yeah. Um, I'm going to repeat the test in six months. You yeah. know, and by the way. It's free, so that's nice. Um, they don't make you pay for it. If, if it looks like a false negative, they will repeat it for free. Mm. Um, but, you know, if you repeat it and the cancer signal gets stronger, man, you're definitely keep looking. You know, yeah, um, right. if it goes away, the first test might have been wrong. The other possibility, you know, we all have immune systems, right? And the thought is that we probably all have a cell somewhere that mm-hmm. goes rogue on, on the daily, you know, and your immune system just, you know, kills it we're picking up cancer on a molecular level, there's always a possibility that you did have cancer and now you don't because your body got rid of it, which would be a good thing. Um, But, you know, there is some concern. Are we creating like a whole new cadre of patients that are cancer survivors because they had a test that came back positive once and now it's negative? I don't know. You know, um, are you going to be able to get life insurance if you have a cancer test come back positive and then it's negative? But, you know, now they're like, well, we don't believe the negative one. We think you're going to get pancreatic cancer and we're not going to insure you. I don't know. You know, I mean, there's a bunch of unknowns. I mean, honestly, I I think it'll be not more than a year or two before anybody, you know, trying to get a policy over a certain amount, they're just going to make them do one, you know, sure. You know, because if you're buying a $50 million life insurance policy, what's 950 bucks to Lincoln financial, you know, know, nothing, (laughs) you know? So, I mean, I, that, that I think will probably happen sooner rather than later. If I was to, if I was to bet Uh, for, not for everybody, but for somebody that's looking to get, you know, a a big policy. So, um, but Apart from insurance abusing the tech, um, which, you know, why wouldn't they? Um, you know, I, as a physician, I'm just super excited that, that we, you know, have a, an ability now to plug this 
what was it, just a giant gaping hole in our ability to find 70% of the cancers that kill people. Yeah. yeah. You know, and, and, you know, if it, the other thing is like, if you're only finding it in stage four and this guy was going to die anyway in, in, a, in three months, then maybe it's not such a great test, but, but it, you, you can find it in stage one and stage two, which this can, because mm-hmm. it's finding it on a molecular level, you know, that is the difference between curing and not curing a cancer. Yeah. Yeah. So I have a, this was not my patient, but one of my friends who has a practice in Denver, um, 51 year old lady, you know, like I said, the test just came out. This happened last year, 51 year old lady did the gallery cancer screen, came back positive for ovarian and they scanned her and she had a tiny little tumor on her ovary, stage one ovarian cancer. Wow. Like yeah. that test saved that woman's life. Yeah. Yep. You know, she would have died. Yeah. Uh, when I don't know, but she would have died sooner than she should have because because you know she had she was 51 with an ovarian cancer. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, it doesn't take too many stories like that before you're like, hmm, <laughs> you know, this is maybe maybe we should figure out a way to get this for everybody. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, random question. This may be a dumb one, but yeah, if someone has a has been diagnosed with a low grade cancer already. Mm-hmm. Um, would you still run that test on them? Or I guess maybe it depends on which kind, like for, for prostate, you yeah. can already do the PSA, yeah. so maybe it doesn't make sense to do yeah. this one. It's a really good question. Um, so, you know, there's a, um, first off, if somebody has had cancer and has been successfully treated for the cancer, then you can run the test on them. Okay. okay. Um, the lab would say you should wait three years from the resolution of that cancer. Okay. You probably don't need to wait that long, but you, sh- if you had like, let's say you had lung cancer and you had a lobectomy, you should at least wait until you're healed up from that. You don't want to be picking up bits of dead cancer cell, you know, that are floating around in the blood. Yeah. Um, if you have somebody with a, you know, prostate cancer is a great example, sort of a smoldering low grade cancer that you're following is probably not a great test to get because it's almost certainly there's a decent chance it's going to pick up that cancer okay and it's just going to tell us something that we already know the flip side of that is that just because you have a prostate cancer doesn't mean you can't get another another kind of cancer you know and so um but there's so that we don't really have a good answer for that. Um, right now, what the, the lab says is don't order it on somebody that you know already has cancer. Okay. okay. Um, because, you know, either what's going to, it's either going to come back and say this person has cancer or it's not going to say that and you're going to go, well, the lab's a piece of crap, you know. <laughs> um, you know, prostate cancer is another very interesting um, example. In many people, it's so slow growing which is not a bad thing, but it's so slow growing that it doesn't shed a lot of DNA into the blood. And this test is actually particularly poor at picking up very slow growing, low grade prostate cancers. So it's not a great test for that. Um, Now, will it pick up, you know, an aggressive prostate cancers that's eaten through the prostate capsule and going into your, absolutely. But it's not the greatest test for that. Uh, it's not particularly great at finding uh, cancers in the bladder or in the kidneys because most of those cancers shed their, their DNA into the urine and yeah. you just pee it out yeah. rather than yeah. going into the blood. Yeah. So they're working on a, a, a urine addition to it, but it's not great. I had a, I, It missed a patient of mine earlier this year uh, with a superficial bladder cancer. 
Okay. Um, we found it in a different way. Um, but the, you know, literally, um, actually the t- patient was getting a, an MRI of their prostate because his PSA went up and his P- prostate looked fine on the MRI, but they're like, yeah, there's something hanging out in his bladder there. And he ended up having a superficial bladder cancer. Okay. Um, and uh, his, his gallery test was negative for both prostate cancer and it was negative for a bladder cancer. It was superficial. He's fine. Yeah. Um, you know, so if it would have been a massively aggressive, invasive cancer, probably would have picked it up, but it missed this right. one. Interesting. It's no good at picking up melanoma. Um, again, okay. because melanoma grows superficially, and then by the time it gets in your blood, by definition, it's stage four and you're screwed. Yeah. So, okay. you know, don't stop looking at your skin, you know, yeah. just because you're getting the test. <laughs> right. Yeah. So. Wow, well, that's uh, very cool to hear about. Yeah. Um, I was un- unaware of that. That's that's good to know. You gotta love technology and what it's doing to, to mm-hmm. help us all out. Well, yeah. you know, and I, I think that one of the the things that I love about my my job in particular is that you know we can identify some of these things that are, you know, I mean, there's real science behind it, but it's gonna take a while before you know this becomes standard of care. You know, it might be 15 years. I don't sure. know. Yeah. But if you if you wait for, you know, standard of care to catch up with optimal care, people are going to die. Mm-hmm. And you you have to be okay with that. Um, and, yeah. and, again, I want to be clear. It's not like we're out there doing every new, you know, shiny chasing every new shiny quarter. But when something comes along, like this was one of those things where, like, the 10 of us sat around and were like, we got to do this. Yeah. You know, this yeah. is, this is cool. Uh, and it's expensive. Um, but you know, I have all, I've, I've really found that I don't, I tell all my patients about it and they can decide whether or not it's worth it. Right. Um, you know, I don't want to be the one who, cause we have people, you know, that, that absolutely have that grand that don't want to do it. And we have people that, you know, they don't have the money, but they're going to cut something else out in order to do that. Sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, well, cool. Yeah. Well, thank you for sharing that. That's yeah. good to know. Um, I guess before we exit, I just want to say thank you for your personal support and priority physician support of the Heroes Foundation. Mm-hmm. Uh, we, we love partnering with you guys. We think it makes sense, and we're, we're, we're glad to have you on board. We're happy to do it. Thank you. Um, got anything else? No, I think that's it. Any questions awesome. for us? No. Okay. Well, that was easy. That was easy. (laughs) Thanks for having me. All right. Well, thanks for coming out. And thank all you guys for checking out this episode of the Summits Podcast. Uh, Again, from wherever you get your podcasts or on the Heroes Foundation YouTube channel, thank you for doing so. Hit that subscription button if you haven't done so. It's absolutely free. It won't even cost you 950 bucks. I promise. (laughs) Just hit it up and hit that little notification bell so you can be alerted, alerted when new episodes drop like this one. And don't forget, guys, beat cancer.